on this day we remember. We remember your calling. We remember your courage. We remember your sacrifice. We remember your life. We remember what it cost you to pledge your allegiance to your country. Because of you, we can walk in liberty. Because of you, we can sleep in peace. Because of you, the flag is still there. Because of you, this is the land of the free. Because of you, this is the home of the brave. To the families and friends of the heroes we've lost, we salute you. Good morning, church. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't start this morning by taking a second. Uh, as we just saw in that video and taking a moment and saying that Memorial Day is a very special day. It's a, it's a special holiday. It's, it's a strange holiday. It may feel uncomfortable or strange to some people, but it's a great reminder of those in our country, uh, service men and women who have laid down their lives to protect the freedom and liberty that we celebrate and that we live in each day. And I stand here this morning thankful for that, thankful that, that the freedoms that we experience and that we celebrate, whether it be attending church as we are together now or whatever we may be, how we may be living our lives, that men and women have fought to defend that. And some of them have paid the ultimate sacrifice and laid down their life to protect and defend those freedom and liberties. And I'm so thankful for that today. And as a church, I hope that we are grateful for that this morning. And so we wanted to take a second and recognize that as we prepare to dive into God's word today. Over the, ne over the past few weeks, Pastor Michael has been preaching a sermon series called Next. He's been talking about moving forward by faith. And today, we're going to continue and finish out that sermon series of, of next moving forward by faith. So you guys already know, you can open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles is where we're going to be this morning. And in 2 Chronicles, as Pastor Michael has been preaching, um, he, he provided a reading plan that we were able to partake in together and go along with and follow along throughout the book of 2 Chronicles. And I, I started reading along um, in this reading plan, and you guys can't tell them that I told you this, but I, I, I made it to 2 Chronicles chapter 16, which if you look through 2 Chronicles is only like half the book. So I got an A for effort maybe, I, you know, I don't know. But I made it to 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and, and I got caught here for a while because not because I stopped reading or not because I got distracted by something else, but because there's a verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 that just stood out to me. And I kept coming back to it day after day. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, uh, God is speaking to a king named Asa, and he says, The eyes of the Lord, they roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholly committed to him. And it just struck me as I read that verse. The eyes of the Lord are roaming throughout the earth, looking to show himself strong for those who are committed 
to him. And so naturally, as I read that verse, I began to ask myself that question and say, God, I know in my life, I, I, I want you to show yourself strong on my behalf. God, there are things in my life where I need your strength and I need you to show up in my life. And I see here in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 that it says, you're looking for those who are devoted to you. So I began to ask myself the question, God, what does a wholly devoted life look like? What does it mean to be wholly committed to the Lord? And thankfully, I did eventually catch back up in our reading plan because it brought me to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. At the end of the book of 2 Chronicles, as we're coming to, to this end of, of this history lesson on the people of Israel and the people of Judah, we find a story of a king named Josiah. And Josiah, I think, personally, paints a really beautiful picture for us of what it looks like to live a life that is wholly committed to the Lord. Now, when we think about the word commitment, we, we understand that in a, in a general way. And a lot of us, we probably have something that pops into our mind is, is a perfect example of what commitment might look like. For a long time, commitment has been, it's been a, a sitcom TV show trope. There are people in sitcoms who they are either in a relationship with someone or they are, uh, you know, bouncing around from person to person. And the problem that always rears its head is a fear of commitment. It's a fear of committing to someone or committing to something. We think about commitment in our lives and we may have things that we've committed to and then faltered on. I mean, come on. I don't want to call anybody. I don't want to, I'm not going to point any fingers, so I'll just use myself as an example here. I mean, like, we've all had a point in time where we've had a gym membership, right? And it comes out of our bank account every month, and we look at it, and we say, you know what? Next month, I'm either going to start going to the gym, or I'm going to cancel that thing. And then the next month rolls around, and that money comes out, and you say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I forgot to go in and cancel that thing. And then it rolls around again and it comes out. And we have this, this idea of commitment where we tie ourselves to things or we have things that we commit to, but then we don't ever really take that next step of saying, okay, I'm committed to this, but I'm not fully committed. I'm not totally committed to it. I'm sure many of you have, have gotten a text from a friend or a phone call from people in your life and they say, hey, what are you doing on Friday? What are you doing on Saturday? What are you doing on Sunday after church? And you say, oh, I don't know why. And they say, well, you know, we got a bunch of people coming over and hanging out and, you know, we wanted to know if you wanted to come as well. And now you're kind of in this mode. We've all done this before where we kind of commit, but not really. Where you kind of say, oh yeah, that sounds like a ton of fun. Man, you guys are going to have an awesome time. I think, you know, and hey, listen, I'm not proud of this, but I have to admit it. There have been times where I've been on the phone with friends before and I've said, you know, let me check with my wife. Let me see what my wife has to say. And I hang up the phone, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, and I send a text. Hey man, she said we're busy, so sorry. We have this idea in our minds of what commitment looks like but a lot of times when we think about commitment, we think about these things in our life that we've kind of committed to, but not really. When I was in high school, our, 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 our class took a trip together 
And on one of the days of the trip, we went to a ropes course. So a ropes course is like all these different, um, you know, activities and challenges up in trees where you're walking across ropes and, you know, you're uh, climbing trees. And it's a ropes course. It's stuff that you do with ropes up in trees. So we go all the way through this ropes course, and, and I was a, a very typical, uh, you know, at this point, 18-year-old high school guy. I thought it was kind of, you know, I could do whatever, you know, and standing in line, you ask the guy, oh, do I have to wear a harness? You know, I'm not going to fall. I, I, if I do, I'm not worried about it. You know, and the guy, no, okay, kid, just put this on and go, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and we make it through this ropes course, and the ropes course, it ends um, on a zip line. So you do all these different activities and challenges, and you come to the end, and there's a zip line that runs through the woods where we were at. So as a high school guy, I go through this ropes course and I come to the end and I realized something that no one had told me before we started, that the zip line was on a platform in a tree and to start the zip line, um, you had to step off of the platform. It was not a long free fall, but there were probably, you know, I would, I would be lying to you if I even tried to guess at how far the fall was. In my mind, it was probably like, you know, two, 300 feet. In reality, it was probably two or three feet, you know, and, but there was a moment where you stepped off of this and before the zip line caught you, that you fell. I remember stepping to the edge of that platform and I got there and the guy was hooking me into the, you know, the harness or things like that. And I was, yeah, no problem. I got this. This has been fun. Man, I'm so excited. I'm almost done with this. And I stepped to the edge of the platform and, and suddenly something happened. My hands started sweating really bad. My stomach kind of started feeling weird. And my feet, like, they just got really, really heavy. And I tried my best to step over the edge of that platform, and I couldn't do it. The weirdest thing was, though, is my feet worked going backwards. You know, when I backed up, they worked just fine. And the further away I backed, the better my stomach felt, the drier my hands got. You know, and I was like, okay, all right. So I took a step back, and I took a breath, and I said, okay. I can do this. And I walked back to the edge of the platform and I stood there and I grabbed the rope and I closed my eyes and I went to take that step forward and somehow my feet had once again found themselves in concrete. And here I am standing on the edge of this platform with my classmates stacking up behind me in this ropes course, terrified to commit. Standing on the edge of this platform saying, okay, what are my options of getting down off of this without jumping? I'm not proud of this story, but eventually I found myself sitting on the edge of the platform and the worker gently nudging me over the edge to encourage me to begin the descent. And I fell and, you know, obviously it caught and enjoyed the zip line. It was a ton of fun. I got to the end and, of course, got off and said, oh, man, I was just playing. That was, you know, that was, I was just kidding. Let's do it again. Oh, man, we're out of time. Bummer. What do you know about that? But I found myself standing on the edge of that ledge, willing to commit to the rest of the ropes course when I knew there was safety, when I knew that I was walking on top of boards and I was going across bridges and things like that. But suddenly when it came to a point where you had to put up or shut up, I found myself sitting on the edge of a ledge thinking, this is bad. I really don't want to do this right now. A life that is wholly committed is that next level of commitment. It's saying, God, I'm not just sort of committed. I'm not just kind of in. But what the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, is that the Lord is looking for those who are fully committed. For a life that is wholly and totally 
committed to him. We come to 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and we find the story of Josiah. In Josiah, the story that we find, it tells us the story of a life that is wholly committed to the Lord. The Bible goes so far as to say in 2 Chronicles, we find Josiah's story earlier in 2 Kings as well. In both times, it refers to, to Josiah as a king who, who did right in the eyes of the Lord, who did not turn aside to the right or to the left during his life. The book of 2 Kings goes so far as to say that there was no king like Josiah since David, and none like him followed after. A lot of times we think about David, and we think about David being the gold standard. We think about David being the man who was a man after God's own heart. And the Bible tells us that Josiah, that there was no king like him since David and none after. Josiah gives us a great example of what it looks like to be wholly committed and we're going to read in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 today and begin to discover and see in the life of Josiah how we too can take the steps to be wholly committed to the Lord. To move from a place of saying, I'm, I'm kind of committed, I'm a little bit in, I'm mostly in, I'm in when it's convenient for me or I'm in when I need it, but saying, Lord, I am wholly committed to you. Our life lesson throughout next has been if we act in faith towards God, then we see him respond in faithfulness to us. That's what holy committed is. It's acting in faith. As I stood on the edge of that platform, I remember distinctly thinking to myself, you know, I know that I've seen this zipline rope hold all of these people in front of me. And I know that there's no way that they would let me step off this platform if they didn't fully believe that this rope would catch me. But I'm not quite convinced that it's going to. I just have a sneaky suspicion that this is going to be the time that it doesn't work. In our lives, that step of holy committing is that act of faith towards God. And then we see him respond in faithfulness to us. The story begins in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, I've known a lot of eight-year-olds in my life. I don't know how many of them I would trust with being king. Not a great idea. If you have an eight-year-old in your house, I'm just going to go ahead and make a blanket suggestion. Don't put them in charge. Not even for like 10 minutes. Just, you know, don't do it. Bad idea. The Bible tells us that Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the, in the Lord's sight and walked in the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Verse 3 shows us the first thing that Josiah did. It said, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, 16 years old at this time, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. What I love about this verse, and when I begin to think about a wholly committed life, the first thing that stands out to me is a wholly committed life, it starts with me. A wholly committed life, it starts with a personal decision, a personal choice. A lot of times in our lives, we want people to make decisions for us. We want people to tell us how to act, what to do, where to go, where to be, and, and how to act, how to live while we're there. But Josiah makes a different commitment here. It says, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. At this point, Josiah is 16 years old. <laughs> if you thought eight-year-olds eight were bad, 
Just wait till you get to 16-year-olds. That's a whole different world of problems. But Josiah is a 16-year-old. He goes in a different direction than you may think. He goes in a different path than one might lay out for him or what one might imagine he would follow. Josiah begins to seek the God of his ancestors, ancestor David. It's a personal decision that Josiah makes. And the reality is to live a wholly committed life, it starts with me. It starts on a personal level. Because listen, I can stand here this morning and I can talk and talk and talk and talk. And the kids upstairs would probably say, yeah, he's really good at that. And he does it honestly way too long a lot of times. But I can stand here and talk to you today and tell you the importance of living a wholly committed life. I can stand here today and point to you in scripture and show you where a wholly committed life is what God is looking for. But I can't force you to make that decision. No one can. It doesn't matter that your parents may have made that decision or that people you know make that decision. What we see here for Josiah is that it's a personal decision. It's a personal moment where Josiah chooses, this is the direction I'm going in my life. And for each one of us, we're faced with that same decision in our lives. It's a personal moment where we stop and say, okay, this is how my life is going. This is where I'm living at now. It takes some self-evaluation of saying, okay, where am I? Am I really living a life that is committed to the Lord? Or have I kind of made a general commitment? Have I made a general commitment of, yeah, you know, me and God, we have this deal. When I get in trouble, he helps me out, and then I go to church for a couple weeks after that. And me and God, we have this deal that, you know, if it ever gets really bad, I'll definitely turn my life around. You know, we kind of have this deal, you know, I'm young right now, and so I'm just going to kind of do me for a little while, but then eventually, I'll get around to getting my life back together. We begin to have these conversations and these thoughts with ourselves, but the reality of it is, is none of those things are wholly committed. The commitment of being, uh, being fully in it begins with you. It begins with me. It begins with taking that personal step of faith and saying, God, this is a commitment I'm making and I'm all in. I'm acting in faith towards you. I'm fully in on this decision. What I think is interesting here is we see that it's a decision that starts with him and we see Josiah's life, but we begin to see in this decision that starts with Josiah, the value of legacy in a decision that started with him. And legacy is something that carries on from generation to generation. Sometimes it's a good legacy, sometimes it's bad legacy, but legacy has impact. What it says here is that Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. If we look back in 2 Chronicles, we see in the chapters before that, that Josiah's father and his grandfather, that they were wicked kings who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Manasseh, his grandfather, repents at the very end, but it was too late for him to, to have a real impact in their life. But Josiah's great-grandfather was Hezekiah, a king who was faithful to the Lord. And he begins to look back on his past and look back at those behind and makes the choice personally to say, hey, I, I know that my legacy isn't exactly what I've wanted it to be so far, but I'm choosing to change that now. A lot of people probably would look at the story of Josiah, and if Josiah turned out to be a bad king, they would look at his dad, and they would look at his grandfather, and they would say, eh, what did you expect? He did the best that he could with the hand he was dealt. But Josiah makes a personal choice here. 
He makes a decision that he says, hey, this holy committed life, committing to follow God, it's starting with me. And for a lot of us, that's a, it's a great reminder in our lives that when we wholly commit, it influences generations to come. It influences past just the decisions that you're making today, but it has the ability, the impact carries over for generations. It doesn't mean that every generation is going to follow or do what's right, but it, the legacy is there. The impact is there. The Bible tells us that Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and it all begins here in these first three verses where it says Josiah is a 16-year-old, he committed. He said, I personally, not because of what my father has taught me, not because of what someone else has done, but I am personally committing and saying, God, I am in to follow you. Being wholly committed begins with me. It starts with me, a personal commitment. That's not the only thing we see from Josiah's life, though, as we turn the page and we move in into the next verses of Josiah's life, verse 3 through 7, verse 4 through 7, we see that a wholly committed life, it influences others. That it starts with me, but it begins to, as it starts with me and as God begins to change my life and change how I live, and as I begin to live out a wholly committed life, it begins to bleed out and influence those around me. Verses 3 through 7 of 2 Chronicles chapter 34, they go through, and Josiah says that in the 12th year of his reign as a 20-year-old, and if you thought an 8-year-old was bad, and a 16-year-old was bad, man, do I have a lot of surprises for you with a 20-year-old. But we get to 20, and we see once again that Josiah has made this personal commitment, and his life is different. It says that in the 12th year, he began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images. Then in his presence, the altars of the Baals were torn down, and he chopped down the shrines that were above them. He shattered the Asherah poles, the carved images, the cast images. He crushed them to dust, and he scattered them over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, so he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. He did the same in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, and on their surrounding mountain shrines. He tore down the altars and he smashed the poles and he car and carved images of powder, to powder. He chopped down the shrines throughout all the land of Israel and returned to Jerusalem. A life that is wholly committed, not only does it begin with me, not only does it start with me, but it can't end there. It starts with me, but it influences others. Josiah takes some pretty strong steps in this, this next section of scripture where Josiah he moves from it just being a decision that he's made on his own to saying, okay, I am going to now begin to influence others. I feel strongly about the commitment that I've made. The commitment that I've made, it's changing my life and changing who I am. And now it's beginning to bleed out and it's beginning to influence those around me. Now in this story, as we read about the people of Israel, we see post-Josiah's life, we'll hear about it in a moment, but the, the people of Israel, that they return to some of these things, some of these sins, some of these, these troubles that they've had. And a lot of times when we think about influencing others, we get nervous about it. Because we start thinking like influencing others means that we have to kind of cross these lines or boundaries that people have. That to influence others, we have to take this, this real hard and fast stand of like, if I see someone doing something that, that I disagree with, I'm going to stand on my desk and I'm going to yell across my cubicle, you shall not do that. You know, that's kind of what we get is this idea of influencing those around us. 
Now, Josiah was a king, so Josiah could do whatever he wanted to. Josiah had the ability to begin to, to, to leverage his influence and to change for people around him. But what I love about this idea, this idea of, of a wholly committed life influencing others, is that it's not our job to change what other people are doing. It's impossible. We see it in the life of Josiah. Josiah takes extreme and drastic measures to eliminate idol worship from the land, and yet as soon as he is gone, we see it pop right back up. It's not our job. It's not our responsibility to change others. Our responsibility is to live out the personal commitment, to live out our faith, and through that, to influence others. A shameless plug here for a second. Um, over, the, over the next few weeks on Wednesday nights, we're going to be showing a video series. And, and the video series that we're going to dive into on Wednesday night is, is I've had the opportunity over the past two weeks to sit with several of our church members and talk with them about their jobs to talk with them about what they do for a living and, and, and kind of trying to get a better grasp and a better understanding of how our work influences our faith. And what I've loved about every one of these conversations, and you'll be able to see those uh, on Wednesday nights going forward, I encourage you to tune in and to watch those because there have been some really cool things that we've talked about. But one of the things that has stood out to me above everything else, and it's happened in every conversation I've had so far, Throughout, the, throughout our time together, the people that I've been interviewing, they've made a statement somewhere in the realm of, you know, I'm not perfect at my job. I don't always get it right. I don't always make the best decision in what I do. But I'm committed to trying to. I'm committed to trying to live out my faith in the workplace and what's amazing is they tell these stories and they have these moments where they say, hey, listen, I don't get it right all the time, uh, but I'm trying and I'm working towards that and I'm striving towards that in my life and, and I want to in my life. And to every single one of these conversations, you know what has been a result of not being perfect in their jobs, not getting it right every time, but living out their faith. You know what the result always is? Influence. People who choose to live out their faith, who say, hey, I'm wholly committed. This is a personal decision I've made. It's bleeding over into my life, and it's allowing me to influence others. It doesn't always immediately change how other people act. It doesn't immediately make everyone that you're around say, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to start doing that too. But what it does is it begins to build influence in a wholly committed life. It influences others. To influence others, it must be something that comes from a place of personal conviction. Here's where we look back and we see that the decision, it has to begin personally. It has to start with me or it's not going to be something you're going to follow through with. The first time that you're around people that you have influence over and the conversation goes in a certain direction or the actions begin to go in a certain direction or things begin to come up through your friendships. If it's not a personal conviction, if it's not something that started with you, it's going to fade. It's going to falter. You're going to push it to the back and say, eh, you know what, maybe next time. Maybe next time I'll take that stand. Maybe next time I'll use my life to influence others. Then the next time comes around and it's a little easier to take that step back and say, eh, you know what, maybe next time. Eh, you know what, maybe next time. But when, we, when, we're, when it begins with us, it begins to bleed over and influence others. And I would encourage you today to begin to examine in your own lives and say, okay, where are places of influence that I have? 
Because you may be tempted to read a story like Josiah and say, yeah, Josiah was a king. He had the ability to walk in and say, hey, guess what? We're tearing all this stuff down. You're not doing this anymore. And if you do, you're in trouble. Josiah, had the, he had the pull to be able to do that. But as we begin to look in our own lives, we see spheres of influence, places where we can begin to impact and have influence on other people through a personal commitment that we've made. The third thing that we see is that a holy committed life, it begins with us, it influences others. But the final thing we see from the story of Josiah's life is that, that, that a holy committed life, it's rooted in God's word. As we look at the rest of the story of Josiah, we see in verse 8, it says, In the 18th year of his reign, in order to cleanse the land and the temple, Josiah, uh, he sent Shaphan, son of Azalea, along with uh, uh, Messiah, the governor of the city, and the court historian, uh, Joah, son of Johaz, to repair the temple of the Lord as God. Now, this may be the part of the story of Josiah that you're a little bit familiar with. Josiah begins a project in the land of repairing and rebuilding the temple as part, of, as part of the reform of the land, as part of his influence on others. He said, we need to take care of our house. We need to take care of the temple in our land. And they begin to clean it out. And as they're going about this, they find something. Down in the, in the inner parts of the temple, they find a scroll that contains the word of the Lord. Now, I wish I could stand here and tell you, oh, flip in your Bibles to this passage and we'll read exactly what they had, but we don't know. There are some really good guesses that it's probably an excerpt from the book of Deuteronomy or something like that. You know, um, at this point in time, the Bible looked a little different than it did than the one we're sitting in front of today, but it had been lost for years and it had gained dust and they find it sitting in the temple and they bring it. And I, I love in verse 15, we see that, um, that they come back to the king and they declare that they have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gives the book to Shaphan to take to the king. Now what's funny about this account is Shaphan returns to the king and he's uh, carrying a copy of God's word with him, of a, a, a copy of a portion of God's word. And, and he goes before the king and the king says, uh, do you have any news to report to me? And the guy begins to walk through and he gives, he gives the king like a detailed list of here are all the projects we've accomplished. Here are all the things we've gotten done. Here's, here's where we are in our progress report. And then almost as an afterthought at the end, he says, oh yeah. And also, I forgot to mention this earlier. But this guy handed me this scroll and he wanted me to come and read it to you. To me, that's just such a funny, like, thing for him to do. To come before the king and say, hey, here's all this information about how the cleaning project is going. Oh, yeah, and also, we found God's word. But, you know, that's a different point. But what Josiah does in this moment is Josiah asks for the scroll to be read to him. And Josiah begins to hear the word of the Lord read into his life. And the Bible tells us that, that they read through this scroll that they found and that Josiah, he tears his clothes and he asks the people around him to do the same with theirs as a sign of mourning and recognition of what they've just heard. Because Josiah, in the reading of God's word, he's confronted with the sin of the people. Josiah hears in this portion of scripture, he, he begins to hear things that he's, he's almost keeping a checklist in his mind. As the, book of the, as the word of the Lord is being read, Josiah begins to identify and say, oh man, we've done that, we've done that, we've done that, we've gone wrong here, we've broken that law, we've gone against this, we've done this. And the Bible tells us that Josiah, it's not only a reading of the law, but it's also a reading of the judgment and punishment that comes from failing to keep the law. And Josiah is now faced with a decision. Josiah is standing before the people and he's heard this list. He's heard these things read. 
And he's confronted with this idea of here are the things that the people have done and here is the punishment that it is deserved. Here is where the bad news comes in. Because remember, Josiah is standing there and as he's hearing these things, he's hearing things like, now shall not have any graven images. And he's thinking, whoops. Thou shalt not follow other guys. Whoops. And as he's going through these and then they get to the moment where it says, and here's what will happen if you do. And Josiah recognizes his sins and the sins of the people, and he saw that punishment was deserved in this moment. But God's word, it changes everything. It's the great thing about God's word. In this moment, it changes things for Josiah because Josiah realizes, hey, I'm not stuck with this. I'm not just doomed and condemned in this moment, but what God's word helps Josiah to recognize is the sin in his own life, the sin in the lives of the people around him, and to repent and turn to God. To repent in this moment and say, God, our nation, our people, they've sinned against you. God, help us to, to renew this commitment, to make a commitment to follow you again. God's word does this in our lives. They found it in a basement, but thankfully today we have it sitting in everywhere. Many of you probably carry it in your pocket with you all day, every day on your phone. I promise if you look hard enough through the apps, it's there somewhere. We carry a Bible with us everywhere. In our houses, we probably have them sitting around and we fail sometimes to use this, this vital piece of our personal commitment. Because a wholly committed life, it begins with us, it influences others, but all of it, the decision to follow Jesus, the influence that we exert over other people, it begins and it's rooted in God's word. God's word functions as a, as a flashlight into our lives. It shines into the dark areas and shows us, reveals things about us of, of who we are. It peers into the darkness, into the areas that we say, man, I, I don't want anybody to look there. God's word boldly confronts that in our lives. Not only does it function as a light, it functions as a mirror. You stand in front of and you look and ain't no trick in a mirror. When you wake up in the morning, you may wake up and you may be laying in your bed and you may think to yourself, man, I feel... I feel beautiful today and I feel wholesome about myself and I feel great and everything is perfect and I love it. And then you walk into your bathroom and you look above your sink and you say, you know, I should have just stayed back there and not looked in this thing this morning. A mirror reveals who we truly are. It shows what sometimes we want to overlook and avoid, but God's word functions in the same way in our lives. And I encourage you today, if you are not utilizing this tool to begin Start now, begin utilizing God's word and reading it and committing to say, God, I'm gonna ground and root my life in your word because I wanna know, I wanna see who I truly am. I want you to show me where I need to change. I want you to show me where I need to grow, where I need to move forward in my life. Honestly, like it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, it's God, I need, I need to see where I need you to show yourself strong on my behalf. As we read God's word, it's a light that exposes dark areas of our lives, but it's also a mirror that helps us reflect and see where we truly are. The story of Josiah comes to an incredible end as we talk, talk about a holy committed life being rooted in God's word because Josiah in this moment, he makes a decision for his nation. He makes a decision for himself. He says, we are fully committing. We are committing to following God. 
So he sends his, his people uh, to, to a prophetess named Huldah. And he says, Huldah, he says, we have, we have sinned. We have gone against God. We are repenting. We are turning away from these things. Uh, tell us what the Lord says. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 27 and 28 is such a great reminder. Huldah is speaking and Huldah is, he says, this is what the Lord says in verse 24. I'm about to bring disaster on this place and its inhabitants. Huldah, the prophetess, she continues to say the words of the Lord and that the Lord is telling them that destruction is coming because of the lives that they've lived, because of the actions of the people of Israel. But then we come to verse 27 through the end of, of this section here, and it says, as, as for the words that you heard from the Lord God, it says, because your heart was tender, because you, Josiah, your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, you tore your clothes and you wept before me, I myself have heard. And this is the Lord's declaration. The Lord speaks through the prophetess to Josiah, and he says, I will indeed gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster that I am bringing on this place and on its inhabitants. As we think about a life that is wholly committed, and we begin to think about how it starts with me, how it influences others, and how it's rooted in God's word, we see a life of full commitment from Josiah. That Josiah, when he was 16, began a personal journey in his own life. He said, God, I'm committing to you. I'm committing to the God of my ancestors. As he made that personal commitment, it began to, to influence those around him and influence the way that he ruled and the way that he treated other people. But it all changes when it became, became, became rooted in God's word. When confronted with God's word, he takes the next step and we see an example as clear as day of our life lesson, that when we, if we act in faith toward God, then we can see him respond in faithfulness to us. Josiah made a personal commitment. He said, I am choosing to live a life that is wholly committed to you. It began with him. It began to bleed over and influence those around him and change those around him. And he began to live out his faith and influence those around him. And at the end of the day, all of that was rooted in God's word. Josiah acted in faith towards God. And what did he see? He saw God respond in faithfulness to him. The law was written and it was plain as day that the people had sinned and that destruction was coming their way, that judgment was coming their way. But the Lord spoke to the prophetess and said, Josiah, because of your humble heart, because of your commitment, because of your reaction, when you were confronted with the word of the Lord, you will not see this destruction. You will not see this despair. You will be gone before this happens. And sure enough, if you flip the last few pages of 2 Chronicles, you see that Josiah, that he passes away. And as Josiah passes, the people return into their sin and there are evil kings that follow. And sure enough, destruction comes to the people. But God keeps his word to Josiah. That Josiah, because of the way you have lived, you will not see these things. It's an example. It's a reminder of a life that is holy 
committed to the Lord. A life that stands on the edge of a zip line platform and says, I can do this. And takes that step of faith and knows that when we live wholly committed, that when we act in faith towards God, that we can see him respond in faithfulness to us. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. And God, we are thankful for all you do. God, I'm thankful this morning that, that you have called us to live wholly committed to you. Lord, I pray that we would take that step, maybe today for the first time, to say, you know what, this begins with me. I wanna leave a legacy of faith and it starts with me today. God, maybe it's a decision we've already made, but it's a moment of evaluation where it says, God, help me to influence those around me. God, help me to take that next step forward. But God, let us always be rooted and grounded in your word. Let us never forget that your word is both a light that shows us direction and where to go and what's actually going on in our lives, but that your word is also a mirror that reveals who we truly are. God, help us to be rooted in your word as we live fully committed. Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen.